Welcome to the Dayspring Audio Library, the teaching ministry of Pastor Daniel Rehoff. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message will have a powerful impact on your life. So sit back and enjoy today's time in the Word. We're in this uh, series that's called Forever, and we're talking about, uh, well, what the Bible really says about eternity and what it means forever. Uh, And I think one of the things that we talked about uh, that was kind of hit home with a lot of people is, is, is eternity something that we work for and earn? Is eternity something that we get by grace but we have to work for to keep it? Or is eternity something that we get by grace and we're kept by grace, okay? And so we clarified what the Bible said about that, that we're saved by faith alone in Christ alone, uh, by His grace alone, right? And we don't have to earn it to keep it. We don't have to keep working to maintain it. Uh, Once we've trusted in Christ as Savior, uh, we become a Christian, as John 3.16 says, and we have everlasting life, and everlasting life is everlasting. It's forever. The moment you become a Christian... You now have life forever. It is not temporary probation. <laughs> it's a gift forever. And eternity starts there. And now here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at, uh, I'm going to bring the screen up. We're going to look at a couple passages today that, um, in this subject that I'll tell you, uh, sometimes, people, sometimes people get a little perplexed at some of these passages we're going to look at. Sometimes they may seem even a little bit uh, confusing. And, and I'll tell you, uh, I'm a pastor. I've been to Bible college, done all that. There's some passages in the Bible that I, I, I don't understand either. You know, I just, I don't get them. So, is that possible? You're a pastor. I thought you knew everything. I don't, <laughs> I may act like I know everything, but I, I don't know everything. I may have an opinion on a lot of stuff, but, but what we do then is we take a passage from the Bible and we just study it. And, and what really does the Bible say? And, and the only book that we're using in this series, the only book we're using in this series is this book. Amen, church? This is it. Um, there's a lot of good commentaries, a lot of good uh, resource books. I mentioned some last week that you could read and help out along your study. But what we're not going to do in this series is we're not going to quote uh, so-and-so and so-and-so. You know, well, John so-and-so said this, or John so-and-so said that, or, you know, this, you know, wait a second, hold on. What does the Bible say, all right? And um, I, I, why do I do that? Because here's why, church, because I think that we're educated people, right? And I think that we all know how to read, and I think we can study it. And this book, and make sure you always remember this. Don't ever forget this. This book, uh, which was inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by men, I mean penned by men, um, this book is meant to be understood by the common man, okay? That was the way it was written. That's the reason it was written. Someone with a third grade reading level, uh, I think, can totally comprehend this book. Well, of course, nowadays, maybe it's someone with like a third year in college reading level because do third graders even read nowadays? I don't know. <laughs> when I was a kid, uh, you know, think of what Jesus said. Jesus was talking about the children. He said, don't, don't keep the children away from me, all right? Let, let the children come. Je- Jesus' goal wasn't to make it hard and complicated. It was for an understanding, for a revealing. So, uh, but, but on their hand, though, to be totally fair with it, this is not supposed to read like Reader's Digest. It's not. This is not you know, Fox News, this is not CNN, it's the Bible. And, and sometimes we say, well, pastor, I had a hard time reading it. Okay, well, listen, when you get to heaven, don't blame God for your ignorance, okay? Roll up your sleeves. This book says we're supposed to 
study it. That's what it says, study it. Roll up your sleeves, dig into it a little bit. This is not just a casual blah, blah, blah read. It's, it's, it's the Word of God, the living Word of God. Literally, this book is God breathed, God's Word breathed for us. This is the only book that will last, now this is bizarre, for all eternity. This is the only book we're going to have. For, you know, we you have libraries of books. On my, on my iPad, on my computer, I have, I don't even want to think of how many books I own digitally, Okay. None of them are going to be around for eternity. Only this book is going to be around for all of eternity, okay? It's literally God's Word. So uh, we need to be able to study it. We need to learn it. We need to roll up our sleeves. Uh, you know, the Bible is not limited to theologians or scholars or, or a priest or a holy person. It's something that we need to be able to study on our own, okay? Now, uh, a good friend of mine, Pastor Dennis, uh, gave me this, uh, a great way to, to study Scripture, and it's the three C's of Bible study, the three C's of Bible study. And, and we're going to kind of look at this today. Whenever we read a passage that looks a little perplexing or a little confusing, okay, and, and like I said, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at a couple passages that cause us to scratch our chin for a second. What does this really say? about eternity. We're going to remember this. We're going to always consider the context. We're going to examine the content, and we're going to compare Scripture with Scripture. So, consider the context. So, we have to remember, uh, uh, you know, what, what, what's, who's this written to? When's it written? Who are the people that are supposed to be reading it? You know, what's going on in society when it was written? The content, let's actually look at the passage, not just the phrase, but let's look before and after. Let's Let's get the content of what was said. Because remember this, guys. The New Testament, you know, the, the whole, like, right side of the Bible is pretty much letters to churches. It's a letter. Like, when we think of the things that Paul wrote, it's a letter. It's meant to be read as a letter. It's not, you know, if someone wrote you a letter, you wouldn't just take one sentence and say, well, this is what the person said. No, you would look at the whole content, all right? And then, uh, this is really good, compare Scripture with Scripture, and, and that means this. That means that we can't ever forget that there is no contradiction in this book. That means that this side of the book agrees with this side of the book. Amen, church? There, there is no contradictions in this book. So if there's a passage that you or I look at and we say, hmm, I don't understand that, we always have to remember, well, what does this say, what does this say, and what does this say, and, and understand this in light of all of this, Okay. So if there's a passage that's hard, what you do is you look at the passages you understand, and you, you, you interpret the hard ones by the things you understand, not the other way around. Right? That's just common sense, okay? So the three C's, we'll do that, and we'll look at that. And when we do that, then I think we really come to good, sound, scriptural conclusions. All right, so the first thing I want to look at, the first phrase or the term maybe I should use, or even the first passage that, that I want us to look at is this, is, is this phrase, you've heard it about being a fruit inspector. Can we be a fruit inspector? Now, this is, a, this is in light of our series talking about eternity, and uh, the passage that sometimes is confused is in the book of Matthew. First book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, book of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 15. And a lot of times there's uh, some, some, some preachers that will use this passage to support the idea that, that your faith can be tested by the amount or the kind of fruit in your life. Because they use a phrase from this passage that we're going to look at that says, by their fruits you will know them, okay? So 
uh, people will say, and Baptist preachers are the worst on this, I think, you know, they want to be fruit inspectors, and they'll say, well, that person obviously doesn't have an eternal life, doesn't have eternity guaranteed in heaven, because I can tell by looking at how they react or how they act. So when we talk about fruit, fruit is what? Fruit is the outcome or the result of something. So if you, if you took a pumpkin seed, uh, like we did this spring, and you put a pumpkin seed in the ground, well, what's the fruit of a pumpkin seed? It's pumpkins, right? And, and uh, so you would look at that in someone's life and say, well, a Christian, you know, should have this kind of fruit or that kind of fruit. And they'll say, well, that person doesn't have the right kind of fruit or that person's fruit's not real big or, you know, whatever. Uh, they must not be a Christian. They must not have eternal life, you know, because we can see that. So what does the Bible say? Let's take a look at it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 to 20. Let's just hop right into it. This is the passage that, I'll be honest with you, is misused so many times. The reason it's misused is, 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 is real simple. Let's, let's just say I was making chocolate chip cookies, and I need some help. I'm not a baker, okay? Let's say I was making chocolate chip cookies. If I was going to make chocolate chip cookies, the first ingredient I need would be what? Flour, okay. And then what else do I need? Chocolate chips, right? What else do I need? What? Sugar? Oh, yeah, okay, sugar, sure. What else do you put in? I don't even know. I really don't. Sorry. I'm not, everyone's yelling at me now. Okay. Butter, brown sugar. Do you put that in chocolate chip cookies? Okay, fine. What else? Anything else? Everyone's yelling. <laughs> Settle down. <laughs> okay, but let's just say I have, let's make it simple. Flour, chocolate chip, sugar, butter, brown sugar, whatever. Let's just say I took one of those ingredients. Uh, okay, I took the flour. And I took just a handful of flour and I put it in a pan and I put it in the oven and cooked it at 350 for how long? How long do you cook cookies for? I, I, I have no idea. This is not, I'm not testing you. I don't know. Um, would that be chocolate chip cookies? No, it'd be a clump of flour that's really hot. <laughs> Sometimes people do that with Scripture. They take one ingredient of the whole passage and they say, look, look. Look, look at this. This is doctrine. It's not doctrine because you didn't take the whole thing. Like what we talked, you didn't take the context. You didn't take the content. You didn't compare it with scriptures. You can't take one ingredient and say that's a chocolate chip cookie. You can't do that because the passage was written as a letter or as a, uh, 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 as a, as a document. It's together. It's a whole thing. You can't cherry pick what you want from the Bible. You can't do it. And a lot of preachers do it. Why? Because it makes for good preaching material and it sells an awful lot of books if you do that. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 to 20. I'm going to read it. You follow. Here we go. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs and thistles? Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree brings forth uh, evil fruit. Verse 18, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Verse 19, every tree that brings forth not fruit, good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Verse 20, wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Now, pause, all right? That's really, that, that, that verse is used so much. Can we keep going though? Let's keep going. Verse 21 not everyone that said unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, 
But he that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have, and have we not cast out many devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. So they'll look at this passage and they'll say, see, look at this. You have no fruit. And then go down to verse 23 and it says, depart from me. So they'll see this. They'll see this. this they take these two phrases together. You have no fruit, depart from me. They, they took this passage and this passage and they make a doctrine out of there. And then from that, a lot of churches will start judging people upon their fruit. And they'll say stuff like, you know, no, no fruit, no root. And you'll hear that said a lot. And they'll cherry pick that. Well, does that mean that a, that, 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 that a person that doesn't have good works, a person who supposedly trusted Christ as Savior, but doesn't have work to show it, does that mean that, that God takes it away? Does that mean that, that, that they never really had it in the first place? I mean, is this a requirement? Is this something that's essential about this? Well, let's go back and let's take a look at our three C's. We'll just put these up here. So we're going to look at the context, we're going to look at the content, and then we're going to compare Scripture with Scripture. All right? So let's go ahead and get started on this. Take your Bible again, Matthew chapter 7. Let's look at the beginning of the passage. Uh, and remember, Jesus is speaking on this, so this is a pretty big deal. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Look at just the very beginning, just the very beginning of the passage. What's those first four words say? The very first four words says, beware of who? Who's he talking about, church? He's talking about false prophets. Is he talking about saved people? He's not talking about saved people. He says it right there in the passage. I am talking and telling you, Christians, to beware of false prophets. It's interesting, though, pause, as we think about this, the false prophets, as we're going to keep reading here in the middle part of the verse, they, from the outside, they looked like believers. They were indistinguishable from believers. They looked like sheep. He says they're not sheep. Look at the middle of verse 15, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. So are they, are they believers or not? They're not sheep. What are they? They're false prophets. Are they good prophets? Are they Christian prophets? No. He says, beware of false prophets that look and act like sheep. They're dressed up like sheep, but they're not sheep. They're false prophets. And he goes on to say, you need to look at their fruit to evaluate who these people are. Now, this then leads us to the next question. So what is the fruit? Remember who's telling this story here, this, this, this part of the, the Bible here. This is Jesus speaking. So it's interesting to note if we compare Scripture with Scripture, Jesus defines what fruit is of some people. And if we took our Bible and we went over in the same book of Matthew, go over a couple chapters to the right, Matthew chapter 12, verse 33, and here's Jesus talking about what fruit is. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by its fruit. Oh, generation of vipers, how can you being evil, uh-oh, look at this, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by the words thou shalt be justified, and by the words thou shalt be condemned. So Jesus is saying here, listen, I want you to look at these false prophets who act really good. 
okay? They got a really good game going. They look good. They act good. They're looking good. But I want you to evaluate these false prophets by what it is that they're saying, what it is that's coming from their lips, and, and what they're saying about is it possible to be justified before God on the basis of our deeds and our righteousness? It's interesting to say when we look at the rest of that passage there, Christ will not say to them, I once knew you, but you lost your salvation because you didn't have enough good works. He doesn't say that. This entire passage is not about addressing the loss of eternal salvation, but it's how to and how not to obtain it in the first place. That's what this passage is about. It's not about someone who doesn't have good works. These people had good works. They were indistinguishable from sheep. From the outside, you looked at them and said, look, they look and act just like sheep. But he says, you're not a sheep. They're trying to obtain their salvation by their good works. By the good. They're trying to obtain their salvation by their fruit. He says, no. Church, you don't get saved by your fruit, right? You don't do that. We get saved by what? God's grace. Let's just skip for a second over Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and 9. You, we have it here behind here. Put that up on the screen so we can see it. For by grace are you saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. The next three words change my life. It is not a work. It is not your fruit that saves you. Your good works don't save you. We talked about that a lot in the first week of this. So, so he's saying here in this passage, listen, you can look at a false prophet and you should judge what they say about Jesus. You should judge what they say about getting into heaven. You should judge that. Who are you judging? False prophets. That's who you're judging. Now, church, does it say, you're reading it too. You got your Bible? You're reading it. Same book I'm reading, right? Does it say anywhere in there that you are to judge sheep by their fruits? Does it say that? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. Does it say anywhere in that passage that your job is to go around evaluating people's fruit and qualifying whether or not they have eternal life or not? Does it say that is your job to be a fruit inspector. Does it say it anywhere in the Bible? It doesn't say it anywhere in the Bible. Church, it is not your job to be evaluating people's fruit to see if they're going to heaven or not. It's not your job. That, you know whose job it is? The only person that knows people are going to heaven or not, really, I mean, from, from, from the outside view, is God himself. He knows what's in someone's heart. Has that person trusted what Jesus Christ did? You may not know what that person believes. You don't know. You may not know that. But God knows that. If you can start to get to the point where you say, well, that person doesn't have fruit. They must not be saved. Yikes, yikes, yikes. You know what you're doing? You're taking the place of God. If you're going to do that, do me a favor. Don't stand next to me. Because <laughs> I don't want to get struck by lightning. Because that's, that's not my position. That's not my job. My job is not to be the fruit inspector and going around and looking at people's, people's works that they did. And again, these people had the works, but they weren't saved. Why? Because they hadn't accepted it by grace. They were trying for their works to earn salvation, to prove salvation by their works. And God says, listen, it's not their works that does it. It's their, it's their faith, what, who they've accepted, who they've trusted in as their Savior. So church, I tell you what, I, you know, here's, here's a thought. If I was going to pick a church to go to, here's what I wouldn't do. I'm, I'm going to tell you, okay? I wouldn't go to a church's website only, only, and just look at what the church website says only. Because I know an awful lot of church websites that say this, 
and the preacher on Sunday morning says this, okay? They, they don't line up. So, uh, yeah, you may start with that. You may start with that, but I'd go and I'd listen with my ears to what the preacher was saying about an eternity in heaven and about e- eternal life and how do I get it. I would judge that church based solely upon what they believe about eternal life. That's where I'd start. I wouldn't start with the, with the youth events. I wouldn't start with the music. I wouldn't start with what version of the Bible they have. I would look solely, what do they say is the qualifications to get to heaven? Is it by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period? Or is it by grace alone, through faith alone, plus you better keep going and you better persevere to the end? Or is it by your works alone? You know what I'm saying? I would, yeah, I would, I would judge what the preacher was saying, the fruit of his mouth, what was coming out of his mouth, regardless of what the statement of faith said. What are they saying about salvation? That's what I would do in it. But I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't church, I would never judge a church by, by their building. You know, I remember when we, we, we started off, it still to me, this day bothers me, I had a guy come to me and said, well, this, we started out, we were meeting in a hotel. And he said, this is not a real church. I said, why not? He said, it's not a real church until you have a building. When you have a building, call me and I'll come back. Where's that in the Bible, right? You know, that, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. You judge a church by, by what's being taught, okay? And, 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 and be careful when you're looking at a passage like this. There's an awful lot of people that try to associate this passage with, with if you're living a good life. The, the beginning of this passage says, beware about false prophets. Anyone that uses this verse to judge a person's lifestyle to see if they're saved are not using Scripture correctly. They're manipulating the Scriptures to meet their own needs and their own doctrine. I am always just amazed at people that take these passages out of context. And again, I'll throw blame on an awful lot of preachers that do that, okay? And an awful lot of preachers use that to control the congregation, saying, you know what? You are obviously not saved because you're still living in a sinful lifestyle. Church, let me ask you a question. Is there any one of us, and I'm just being honest, is there any one of us, any one of us that is sinless? Is there any one of us? Is there anyone that's gotten to a point in their life and said, you know what? I used to sin, and I became a Christian, and I don't sin anymore. The only person I ever knew that said that was my mother-in-law. Uh, she didn't say that. She probably watched on live stream. She acted like it. No, I'm kidding. She did. She did. No, come on. Now, listen. Hey, when she comes and visits, you guys can't say anything about me kidding, okay? It's our secrets between us. I'm just kidding. Um, but, but, but that's, okay, that, that's just not right when someone does it, you know, says, well, I don't know. I don't know if that person's saved because they don't have the fruit. What? Listen, an awful lot of people trust Christ as their Savior, and it takes years for fruit to grow, okay? Years. We made the illustration. We, we, plant, we plant pumpkin seeds out there, and we put a dumb little seed in the ground, and it's like, boom, the thing takes off, and there's pumpkins, and there's lots of pumpkins, and all these, and it's just all this fruit, okay? You could have taken an apple seed this year and planted that in the ground, and you know what? You'll be lucky if you see something even coming up after the first year, let alone fruit. It may take 5, 10, 15 years for that apple tree to actually be producing fruit, but in the meantime, that pumpkin plant over and over and over every year is just producing pumpkins, 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 okay? You just can't judge it and say, well, that's not an apple tree. Well, it is an apple tree. It's going to take a while for it to bear some fruit. Everyone in this room is different. Everyone here in this room struggles with something different. And some, some people here, you know, we've got our Friday night addiction recovery program. I love it. I'm here Friday night when I'm in town. I think it's great. Some people just struggle with some stuff for a long time, but that doesn't mean you could judge their fruit. Right? I've had people say this, Pastor, you know, I got saved a couple years ago, and, and I've, had, I've had people say this. And, and, you know, yesterday at work, 
Yesterday at work was the first time ever I didn't swear. In all the years I've been working, it was the first time I didn't swear at my boss. Okay, church, time out. That's a little piece of fruit that may be that big, but you and I never saw it. Why? Because we're not with this person all day, 24-7, 365. Or pastor, for the first time in my life, last night before I went to bed, I actually prayed. Well, there's a little bit of fruit, church, right? But you and I never see it. So be really careful about that. What we like to do, here's what we like to do. We like to look at this, 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 you know, this. Well, if the person would stop doing those things, then I know they're a Christian. Hey, don't pick on the addict, all right? The sin of lust or envy or greed happens up here that no one else sees, and the Bible says it's just as wicked as doing it. You hated someone up here? The Bible says you're a murderer, okay? So be real careful about that, that you're judging other people when, when you're, you're struggling with the same thing up there, just no one sees it, okay? So is this passage confusing? It's not confusing. It's not. Just read the whole passage, all right? Don't take one sentence and say, well, see, there's their fruit. All right, do I got enough time? Let's talk. Can we do one more? Let's do one more. All right, here's one more. We'll get done by, uh, what time is the Harvest Fest? Three? No, let's, let, I'm going to just go through this one real quick. I've heard people say this too from the book of Hebrews. Here's the second one I want to look at. From the book of Hebrews, they'll say this, can a believer fall away? Can you have eternal life and then lose it? Could you fall away? Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4 to 6, and this is the passage people use to confuse that you could fall away. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the, of, of the world to come. Here we go. If they shall fall away to renew them again into repentance, seeing they crucify themselves, the Son of God, in afresh, and put to him in open shame. Okay, first off, we have to remember the, the content and the context. Does anyone know... Does anyone know who this book is written to? Hebrews. Who are the Hebrews? Who are these people? Here's who these people are. They're, they're Jewish people that, are, that, are, that are, are probably 40 years, 30 or 40 years after Jesus Christ died on the cross and went back to heaven. It's 40 years later. The Jewish people still living there. They're living in Jerusalem. They don't have a printing press. They don't have email. They don't have Facebook. You know, there's no... There's no this book hasn't, isn't done yet, okay? They only, have, they only have the back half. They don't have the New Testament. And they're living there, and they're going, Ugh. the temple's still up, right? The temple wasn't destroyed until 70 A.D. This book was written about 68. So it's a couple years from now, the temple's going to be destroyed. But they don't know that. And they got all their Jewish friends saying, you still need to go to the temple. You still need to go to the priest. You still need to bring a sacrifice. You still need to do all these, these rituals and all the symbolism. You still need to do all this. Yeah, I know, but, but, but that guy Paul and, 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 and Peter and these guys are talking about the Messiah had already come 40 years ago, and he died on the cross and paid for his sins, and I believe that Jesus really was the Messiah, but should, should, should I go and do a sacrifice? Or should, should, should I go to the temple still or... or Remember, they were in a transition period. They, they didn't know about the New Testament church yet, okay? The book of Acts wasn't in front of their face yet. They didn't understand all this. The book of Hebrews is written to these people that, that the writer is saying this, and this is what he's saying in this passage. Be careful you don't start to go backwards in your faith. Yes, you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, but you don't need to go to the temple. 
You don't need to bring a sacrifice because when he died on the cross, it was what? It was finished. So when he's talking about falling away, he's not talking about falling away from your eternal life and your salvation. He's talking about falling away in your faith and what is it that you're practicing. When you, when you look at that in the context and you compare it with Scripture, he's saying just be careful, be careful that you don't go back, because look what he's saying there, don't go back and start, you know, offering a sacrifice again openly when Jesus already offered the sacrifice and paid for it, okay? It's an embarrassment, it's a shame. He already paid the debt, why are you sacrificing again? Don't go backwards, don't go retro in your faith, don't go back to the way it was. Jesus Christ died on the cross, it's done, it's paid for, it's finished. Nowhere in this passage, church, does it say you're falling away from eternal life. It does not say that. It doesn't. But I've had people come to me and say, see, you were once enlightened, but you fall away. You felt, well, <laughs> you, you just added an awful lot of theology to that passage by saying you're falling away from your eternal life and you're going to go to hell. It doesn't say that anywhere. It doesn't. He's talking about the fact that, that you're falling away from your daily practice of your faith. You're going back. The whole book of Hebrews is saying this. Jesus is better than the, than the priesthood. Jesus is better than the temple. Jesus is better than, than the sacrifice. Jesus is better than, than everything we've ever done. And this is the way it is now. Because remember, guys, they didn't have the Bible. They didn't have, you know, Fox News. They didn't have Newsmax. They didn't have CNN to cover this. And so it's been 40 long years. And they're, they're scratching their chin about what do I do. The, the Bible wasn't completed for another few years, okay? All right? It wasn't really until the first century church finally had the completed Bible. And they're like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, I get it. Then the temple's destroyed. And they're like, well, we can't sacrifice anyways. And things changed a lot. But he's saying be very... Very, very careful about that, that you don't fall away back in, in, into the, your old ways of your faith, your old ways and doing these needless sacrifices, okay? It's a warning to lazy believers about the dangers of falling away in your faith of God. It's just it's saying, listen, guys, don't be lazy. Stop it. Know what you're believing. Know what you're doing. Be careful about that. So does Hebrews chapter 6 teach that a believer can lose his eternal salvation? Absolutely not. It does not. But it does teach the propensity for believers to become dull of hearing, to spiritually uh, retrogress or regress, to need to be taught again biblical basics, and the possibility of returning to a religious systems that teach, uh, that teach and practice that which is contrary to the Word of God because of pressure and persecution. The thing is in this passage, guys, their salvation is never questioned, nor is their eternal destiny. It's never questioned. Let me give you this real quick hint, and we'll be done. We'll get out of here. Sometimes in the Bible, too, you will see the word that talks about being saved, saved. It's real easy because we're real lazy to associate that word saved with eternal salvation. It doesn't always mean that, okay? Just like this passage here that talks about falling away doesn't always mean falling away like you're going to lose your salvation. It doesn't mean that. You have to look at the context, the content, and then compare it with other scriptures, okay? So Hebrews chapter 6 does not mean that you could get to a point in your life where you can fall away from eternal life. It doesn't mean that at all. It's not even close to that. It means, though, that, that you can be lazy and, and regress back to the old ways 
Hebrews, going to the temple, having sacrifices, following the priesthood, you can go backwards and fall away from what you know to be true, okay? A believer, a believer can get messed up in their beliefs. Book of Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians, I'm amazed at how soon you have changed your beliefs. I, how could you do this so quickly, all right? A believer can, can, can start to believe different things and stupid things and wrong things, right? Because we're human beings, right? And that's what he's warning about. Don't fall away from what you believe. Don't, don't go backwards, all right? And that's what it is. So, bottom line, don't ever judge your salvation or don't ever judge someone, else, uh, someone else's salvation by their works. Works do not get you to heaven. Your faith in Jesus Christ the Savior does. And, number two, there is no passage in the Bible that says if you don't practice your faith, you're going to fall away from Jesus and lose your eternal destiny. Remember this, church. Remember, remember, remember. Forever is what? Forever. If it wasn't forever, it'd be temporary. Right? This verse doesn't say, John 3, 16, doesn't say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have temporary probation. It doesn't say that. Everlasting life. That means whoosh, forever. Forever is forever. Once you become a Christian, you have salvation forever. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. We talked about this last week. You can't run from it. You can't drop it. You can't forget about it. Someone can't take it. The devil himself can't steal it from you. Once you become a Christian, you have it forever. And all God's children said, amen, right? Isn't that good? I'm glad. Whew. Can you imagine waking up every day? Do you think I got it? I hope I got it. Man, last night, oh boy, kind of a rough night. Boy, I hope I got it. think I got it. I don't know. Do you got it? I don't know. Let me see how you, are you doing God's works today? I don't know. Are you doing, I mean, imagine what a, what a disaster that would be. You'd just be, you'd be questioning your salvation every two seconds. Well, I had a bad thought. Well, I must be going to hell. Well, I had a good thought. Well, maybe I'm still going to heaven. You know what I mean? We're, that'd be awful. I'm thankful for the fact Jesus Christ died on the cross, paid all of our sin debt. And by simply accepting that, by believing it, trusting it. God, I realize I'm a sinner. God, I can't pay for it. But God, I believe Jesus paid my sin debt on the cross of Calvary. By that alone, by faith alone, by grace, grace alone, I can believe what Jesus Christ did on the cross. God, I accept the fact Jesus paid my debt and I can know for certain I have right now everlasting life. It's forever. Okay, it's good to do good things, church. This is not an excuse to do bad things, but good things don't go send us to heaven, right? Our faith in Jesus Christ, okay? Always remember that. We are very interested in you and your spiritual growth. If you want to contact Dayspring for prayer or more information, you can reach us at 262-404-5092 or on the web at dayspringbaptist.com. Thanks for listening.